Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Far Beyond the Stars. 13th episode of the sixth season, aired on February 11th, 1998. Teleplay goes to Irish Stephen Bear and Hans Beemler. Story goes to Mark Scott Zicree, directed by Avery Brooks. In this episode, experiencing a vision from the prophet, Cisco sees himself as Benny Russell, a sci-fi writer in the 1950s who struggles with civil rights and inequality while he writes the story of Captain Benjamin Sisko, a black commander of a futuristic space station. We're joined by Clay, as always. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I did not know, going into this episode, that I would learn that uh, Mark Alamo has better skin as a Cardassian than he does as a human. <laughs> you don't think that's makeup when he's in his, uh, in his real, uh, or his unmade-up, or at least un-Cardassian appearance? I don't think so. I think that's just how he he looks like he he looks like he's seen some shit. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's done a, th- a few rounds in the uh, the Saw movies or the Hostel or something like that. I think. Yeah, uh, a lot of people out of makeup in this one. It's a a very special I, episode. I did notice um, because specifically they were doing you know what they were doing. Um, severe lack of Garrick this season. Oh yeah. That's true. I had never yeah. really thought about it until this one. I was like, oh, that's cool. Everybody who's usually in makeup is not, oh, but there's no Garrick. And then it made me think, oh, he hasn't really been in the season at all. Yeah, that's true. Has he's uh, Not since the um, the war arc or the occupation arc, I don't think. I don't think we've seen him in an episode since then. I don't think they explained that he was off doing anything, so I don't know what he's been up to. Yeah. Something to check in on, I suppose. But let's, uh, I guess we'll take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to break down far beyond the stars. All right, next order of business. Some of our readers have been writing in wanting to know what you people look like. Oh, write back and tell them we look like writers. Poor, needy, and incredibly attractive. Well, our publisher has a better idea. Mr. Stone has decided to run a picture of you in next month's issue. Was that absolutely necessary? I'm afraid it is. Kay, you can sleep late that day. Of course I can't. God forbid the public ever finds out that Casey Hunter is a woman. I suppose I'm sleeping late that day, too. It's not personal, Benny, but as far as our readers are concerned, Benny Russell is as white as they are. Let's just keep it that way. Oh, yes. If the world's not ready for a woman writer, imagine what would happen if it learned about a Negro with a typewriter. Okay, so here we are, Clay. It's DS9's version of the city on the edge of forever, I think, is the way that a lot of people think of this. And I don't think that they're wrong to think that. (laughs) Uh, you would actually... I, I don't know if I would say that. Uh, so Well, I guess here's why, why, why I'll say that. When we did the um, City on the Edge of Forever uh, yeah. podcast, you had said that Balance of Terror is your favorite TOS because you give that credit for being the show in like a more pure version of what the show actually is than City yep. on the Edge of Forever, which is kind of like a off-the-beaten-path version of a TOS mm-hmm. episode. And I think that City on the Edge is like... It's pretty clearly, or obviously to me, my uh, what I think is the best episode of TOS. And I think that Far Beyond the Stars is kind of similar in the sense that it made me... Th- it made me it, I guess it sort of gave me an appreciation for why episodes like this are highly regarded as they are. This is a very highly regarded episode of DS9. I, I think what happens is that 
after a long time or many episodes, it was only in TOS's case, it was like 30, but it's still a lot of episodes. After after a bunch of episodes where you're kind of seeing the same thing and characters wearing their makeup and you're on DS9 and everything like that, I think sometimes episodes like this are really memorable and impactful because they they sort of give you a kick in the head a little bit to like reboot mm-hmm. how you view the the series. And I think that when they do things like this, it kind of lets you recalibrate yourself and understand what the series is good at and what it thinks about things. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what City on the Edge of Forever did in like the TOS 60s ethos of what was going on in the world. And I think that Far Beyond the Stars, it sort of like recalibrates or like restarts your brain and thinking about what DS9 has been talking about for a long time, but it, it does mm-hmm. it in a more grounded way than the Star Trek setting allows for. And I think that that's why they're so memorable. Oh, okay. I... <laughs> I thought I thought you meant like um plot wise just oh. because they went went they went back to they're in the uh uh you know 50s America or something like that. And I was yep. like, well there's no time travel and there's actually no not sure this conflict. actually happened. Not sure this yeah, is actually real. It, yeah, my my biggest my biggest issue from a from just a uh, I mean I I really liked it. I thought it was great. Um my biggest issue from a plot standpoint is there is unless I missed it absolutely no explanation for what's happening at all they don't even try yep um well the little blurb at the start here says he's experienced division from the prophets which i think is kind of a stretch i don't think they actually say that in this they he they mention the prophets but i i always get the the uh, impression that that's just because they're trying to tie in real world cisco stuff into his Mm -hmm. fantasy if this is a vision from the prophets it's like the prophets just smoked a giant bowl of weed because it's like the prophets going like well what if you know you're just like some guy's thoughts man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then have the characters talk about it now none of yeah. this could be real uh so i was i was surprised i was surprised that they didn't even attempt to give it a you know sci-fi spin or or explanation or, or anything like that um and i and i'm sure mileage will vary on whether or not you you like that better because i i could see it being a choice that people actually like better uh i just find it um, surprising for Star Trek that they wouldn't even try to attempt to explain it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Uh, I that the thing that stood out to me, I think another reason why these episodes stand out and are um highly memorable is because kind of as an offshoot of what you're talking about about you seeing the same stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The uh. The cast is 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 feeling the same way, and episodes like these let them all stretch their legs quite a bit. And I could tell everybody in this episode was having a blast mm-hmm. doing it. You know, everybody seemed like they were having a lot of fun uh, getting to do some different acting. They didn't uh, have to wake up at four a.m. to put the makeup on for three hours yeah. before they started their day. Yeah. Well, except for poor uh, uh, Lamo and and what's his name, uh, Jeffrey Combs had to do it for like Worf does 15, too. That's true. Yep. All three of them had to do it for like maybe five seconds yep. worth of screen time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you can tell they're all having a lot of fun. Uh, I thought what's uh, Renee Abergenoir was great. Like I, 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 I think I think he stands out as as being the most different from his character, just because his whole voice is different and his his whole approach to everything was different. I was really surprised. That he was that much different as uh, as that character. I'm I'm going to spoil it now because I think it's too good of a point to touch on. But one of the patrons 
mention that you could kind of use this episode as a gauge about their general acting talent levels. Mm. Like the, the way that the way that each character is played is kind of a good way to rank the versatility or the um the quality of the actors. I'd agree with you that Abhijanwar is probably at the top. Shermanman's very good in this one. Mm-hmm. A surprisingly mm-hmm. bad turn from Colmini <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason. He and, was he I think he was he went into this going like, you know what? I'm gonna do an American accent and that just took over his whole <laughs> method and it just it didn't work for him, unfortunately. And I, I would say the bottom is poor Sirach Lofton, who uh I don't <laughs> hey, know what he's, he's doing. Like, he's I, at I, least I, going for it. He's you know? going he's for least, it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a character that he's choosing to do. I mean, I would <laughs> I would put him higher I would arguably put him higher than Michael Dorn. Who, whose entire character was just like, I'm going to lean on this counter and smile at people. That's the, the problem with the Dorn character is I'm not sure he really has a reason to be in there at all. Um, right. Yeah. He's kind of superfluous. There, there, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up the point later about Dorn, which is kind of why he's stuck uh, doing that. But I do, uh, I guess let's start with the, the acting in this before we get into anything, because I do agree with that comment that it's like, it's a great way to see how I would rank the personal, uh, the acting quality or the acting strength of the whole cast. And I think that you can easily sort of go down the list and see who's the best, who's in the middle, and then who has the hardest time changing up what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I, um, what I thought was interesting was that it's kind of neat to see who is a better actor in each universe. Like, I, I think that, Abhijanwa, Shimmerman, Alemo, Dorn, and Visitor are pretty good in both the Star Trek universe and the 1950s universe. Yes. Yeah. I was struck by how much more casual and comfortable Cassidy Yates seems in the 1950s than she is whenever she's yeah. on the Star Trek universe, where she seems really stilted. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I think part of the problem might be that Cassidy Yates is sort of a nebulous character to, to latch onto. Whereas I think the character she's playing here is pretty solid as to what her deal is, you know. Yeah, it's relatable. Um, it's it's more down to earth. It's it's easier to draw from uh, to insp- uh, you know inspire your acting. Whereas Cassidy Yates is like, she's there. She might be a terrorist. She's kind of not a terrorist anymore. She's in love with Cisco. She was in prison. I don't even know what she does anymore. Is she like a teacher or something? Yeah. Did- so, uh, oh, for a job in the, like the Star Trek universe? Yeah. Uh, I, no, she's still a freighter captain because they're talking okay, about that's, that. Okay, yeah, fra- sorry, freighter captain. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a little bit more, you're kind of going off of a character like that. You're kind of going off of what you have on the page, uh, scene to scene, whereas something like she's playing in, in the 50s, it's like, okay, you can, get into the, you can get into the mind of this character pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's... Um... <clears throat> Uh, like one, the more interesting person I thought was, uh, and I think this ties in the way that we've always described him. I think that uh, Combs is way better as Wayun than he is as the cop, which is interesting yeah, to me. I yeah. think Alemo knocks it out of the park as both Ducat and his yeah, he cop. Was, he was great. I actually looked him up afterwards. I was like, what the hell else has this guy been in? Because he's such a good actor. Yeah. And he's been in a lot of TV, but uh, not a ton of, of you know, Features. Anything high profile aside yeah. from this. Yeah, but the the Combs thing, how we always talk about how he's 5% camp backfires when he's in a real world situation, interestingly. Yeah. Like he plays this yeah. kind of like, he, he plays it a sort of a, a slight parody of what a New York cop would be like, which is, mm-hmm. and it comes across as a little bit stilted, where Lamo is actually really threatening in his per- appearances here. Yeah. 
And I was most interested to see what he looks like without his makeup because I had no idea. And I'm also I've I also had this picture of someone with like a very long uh, bird like neck because his <laughs> his Cardassian makeup makes his neck look twenty feet long. Yeah. And so I was expecting this really oddly shaped person, but he looks more or less normal. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I, did you have anything you want to say about the acting? I just thought it was really interesting about like the it's a good way to just see the versatility of people and to see who struggles and who has a good time and who is like who surprises you by how well they can yeah. play a more grounded character and things like that. I thought I think it's just kind of a neat experiment. Yeah, what was what was actually funny is uh I wasn't totally sure how everybody was going to react or what that what their style was going to be, what their character was going to be until they started talking. Except for Dax. As soon as I saw Dax, I was like, I know exactly where this is going. And then she started talking like the nanny, and I was like, yep, that's exactly what I expected she was going to do. Is it a good performance or not? I had a hard time ranking her about whether or not... I thought it was fine. You know, I mean, it's... It's intentional. Yeah, I think it's, you know, uh, the energy and the fun of it is is more attractive than, than the quality. Uh, I think across across the board. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you, you, Sirach Lofton. Sure, he's he's doing this weird, you know, fifty street grifter thing. Uh, they feel they feel like cartoonish cartoonish versions. Lofton and um, Terry Farrell feel sort of like they are they're aware that they're playing a campy version of the fifties, but the other characters yeah, feel yeah. a little bit more grounded. I, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's nice to get a good mix of that, but they're like the Aubergeon Wah performance is a totally grounded thing as opposed to whatever Sirach Lofton is doing and whatever Terry Farrell is choosing to do. Yeah. I will, you know, as much as Colm, uh, Colm Meany maybe kind of whiffed on it a little bit in this one, <laughs> I do, I do have to give him, I do have to give him credit for when Aubergeon Wah is like, Yeah. But he doesn't write about Negroes and whites. He writes about robots. And then they cut to him and he's like, yep. <laughs> That's what I do. I like that little touch. Yeah, I think I think Calm uh, Meany actually got distracted by his pipe as well because he's doing yeah. a lot of business he with was, his pipe. I feel like he was he he saw this as an opportunity to really bite off more than he could chew. And like so he's like, I'm gonna do prop work, I'm gonna do an accent. This is going to be what gets me my daytime Emmy or whatever. (laughs) And uh, it just was, I think he was overwhelmed a little bit. Um, As as far as acting goes, though, did you feel like um, Avery Brooks Brooks didn't really change much? He seemed like he was just normal. And I I don't mean that in a bad way. Everybody else kind of like affected a new character, whereas Avery Brooks, Brooks just kind of felt like, well, this is more or less Ben Sisko. Um, maybe not as assertive, yeah, but there wasn't as much of a change. It was a lot more subtle, I thought. I, I feel he's more he's more nervous and meek uh, than yeah. Cisco is, and I think that, yeah. that that shows in sort of the ending scenes and the beginning scene and everything. I think that it's obviously intentional because he's a character who's obviously been under the uh, heel of the boot for, you know, during the, as being as mm-hmm. a black man in the 1950s, and he kind of breaks out of it. Um I mean, we can't really talk about the performances without Avery Brooks's his his breakdown at the end is a very famous Star Trek scene. His sort of monologue mm. about it being real, uh, the world being real. Mm. Um, it's not a, it's not a great performance, unfortunately. I don't think like he, Avery Brooks continues. In my opinion, he just overplays things like that a yeah. little too much, and yeah, like I. It's too bad. Like I, I don't think he kills the scene. I sort of cringe or wince like five percent of that. Like I, I, I think it works, and I still think that it lands and everything. But he really, 
he de- he goes a little bit too theatrical in situations like that, and it just comes across as kind of stilted. It's yeah. not bad. I I like the rest of his performance. It's really just that scene, which is very famous, but I'm always distracted by it. Yeah, I actually liked it. I I, I mean, I it's the first time I've ever seen it, so maybe you know the the third time you see it, it kind of starts to really stand out how over the top. I mean, it's obviously over the top, yeah, but yeah. Um, I I actually really enjoyed it because I think the rest of the episode is played so quietly. Um, he kind of has a nice uh, uh, progression of intensity that kind of ends with him exploding at the end there. Um, but yeah, I would agree. He, pro- he probably could have dialed it back a bit, um, but he definitely, he definitely went for it. Yeah, he, he did. He also directed the episode, Avery Brooks, right, yeah. which is, uh, it's, that's a this is, he said that this is his favorite episode of the series. Um yeah. he directed it. He's uh the production team thought that uh since they are basically all white uh, that they needed a black man to direct it and I think that's an appropriate choice that they made. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a um we've mentioned this before. I I think that the I think uh I, I've talked about this with DS9 before about uh previous episodes particularly in the occupation arc felt like they're mature Star Trek episodes. Yeah. I feel this is this is kind of becoming to me the defining trait of what DS9 feels like in a way that's different from the other Star Treks where this this feels like a very adult version of the show in a way that like they could have easily done this incredibly ham-fisted racism allegory that wouldn't yeah. work and instead this is it's particularly nuanced and I think that the way that they the way that they tie the characters from DS9 into this universe and make them, they're still kind of their DS9 characters, except they're transported into this world where everything's a little bit different, mm-hmm. really works well. And I think that they, like, th- the best example I guess I can think of is Aubergeonois as Odo. He he carries Odo's respect for order more than justice. Uh, he He believes strongly in, like, this is the... The way things need to be, he'd probably be considered the conservative of this group. And in fact, he calls Shimmerman uh, like a communist, basically, as an insult yes, in one of the yeah. things. But Aubrey yeah. Janois has the, the conservative viewpoint, which is to see things through the lens of barbarism versus civilization. And mm-hmm. he he carries that from Odo, where the changelings and the founders view order and like knowing your role is more important than actually being a just universe. And he's not willing to rock the boat. And but the way that that ties in is so subtle because I would not call Aubergeonois's fifties character a racist, really. Like he's more just someone who believes in the way of things and he wants to keep yeah. the boat going smoothly. So right. while he is not particularly a racist character in the way that the cops are, he is still a sort of like insidious version of how racism exists in the world. Yeah, he's the kind of character who's like, you know, when someone if they complain that the black people can't eat with the white people he's going to be like well i mean i don't know what to tell you right yep, you know yeah, like yeah. It's, it, you have a seat right it, there it, whether or not whether or not he believes that to be true or to be you know the correct way of things is kind of ir- ir- irrelevant it's just like well that's the way things are and you know is generally used as kind of a cop-out you know i think depends on the character um or the person where you can you cannot you can fall back i mean the easy thing to do is to fall back on that order right yeah you know it's the easy thing to do is to say well sorry that's just how things are instead of actually uh making a stand for something that you do or don't believe in yeah well Um, this this is complicated for this character right he's basically the editor of this paper he's he's supporting the jobs of many other people 
at, you know, at the expense of not being able to publish Benny Russell's papers, you know, like right. there's, he, he has other things going on in his head as opposed to just sort of towing the line, which is what I think works for that character. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, he's got, uh, it's, he's not like hard and fast. Like he works with, uh, he works with Benny Russell. Is that his yeah, name? Benny Russell. He works with, uh, Benny Russell and the rest of the group to kind of find a loophole uh, you know, cause he's going off about them. There's no way they'll publish the story about a black captain. And then, and then once the idea of making it a dream comes up, he's like, okay, well that's, that's some wiggle room that I can work with. Yeah. So he's not exact. He's not. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would necessarily call him a, a racist, but uh, he's, he's definitely one who's like, we need, uh, we, we are working inside a specific set of boundaries like it or not, unfortunately. Yep. yep. Yeah. And the, uh, I, I think that's a nicely subtle way to look at it. Um, I think that he is just, he's a, he's a clever character who blends well with his Odo persona. And I think that everything works out kind of well like that. But I, and I, any, uh, I would like to say anyone who, who uh, complained about discovery being uh, uh, about the fact that Star Trek was never political or uh, dealt with race issues or anything. Yeah. You should go back and watch this episode. <laughs> It's funny when you see them without their makeup. How few uh, white people are on, are in the main cast of this? You know, there's mm. um, it's a very, wow. it's a there's a lot of black actors in this cast enough where they can have a scene yeah, where a whole true. bunch of characters are having conversations with each other in a black diner in New York yeah, in the fifties. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I think that the, I th- I think the reason that I I like it is that there's a. I think that the themes of this episode are really everything that DS9 has been talking about uh, for its entire run. And I think that DS9 always gets a lot of uh, slack for being sort of the cynical and and uh, subverting Roddenberry's ideals. I completely disagree with that, I think. Mm. I think what DS9 did is that it took a it took a view of Roddenberry's ideals and it made them more realistic in a way it yeah. moved away from TNG's like okay everything's perfect and let's try to like make a story out of this now that we're living in a perfect world it it took more of a realistic interesting approach where the characters in this universe still have problems that can be linked back to modern day society and like current issues that we're going through and you think the problems that are never actually going to go away and the dominion war piles onto that um and i think that the epi- what this episode does is it it uh, I said it before, but it like restarts your opinion of everything. Like I love yeah. the, I love the fact that the Dominion characters in Ducat are the cops in this episode, who mm. are the racist cops. Because I think what happens when you see the Dominion over and over again, you kind of lose track of how horrible the Dominion are. Because I don't know if the show sells them well enough at what they are. Yeah. Like it brings up that they're this authoritarian group that sort of believes in racial caste systems and enslavement and like a kind of fascistic approach to running the world. And some, for some reason, when you bump it back into the 1950s setting, it actually hits harder than it does in any other situation where they're on a Star Trek universe. Um, I don't know if you felt that way. Yeah. I, you know, I think it comes down to, it's tough with the dominion just because of the scale of what they are. And, you know, budgetarily they can't show a lot of it. And it doesn't matter how many times you talk about someone doing something, it's not, it, it's still going to be kind of hard to wrap your head around exactly what's going on. You know, you could have like an, an entire episode that was just a dissection of Dominion politics to show how bad they are. And it's yeah. like, okay. It's just not visceral. 
Yeah, it, it just doesn't have the the same uh, attachments. Like I've said, you know, previously, it's like when you go big like this, you need to have something small to anchor it, something small and relatable. Uh, where uh, you know, in the fifties here, extremely relatable. You know, you can that drawing a one to one connection between the Dominion and Ducat and racist cops in the fifties. It's like, oh yes, I understand that. That's very easy to wrap my head around. Right. This is not a universe that you want to live under. This is not the kind right. of this is not the kind of people that you want in charge. Is a restrengthening of why the war is important for the Federation in a way that I think the previous episodes kind of have a trouble with. And it's funny that you know, you can have this galactic war where starships are exploding, but for some reason, Benny Russell getting hit with a blackjack by two corrupt cops mm. is like more impactful than any of the starship battles. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how scale works like that. You know, um, having something like that that is small and personal and relatable is always going to win. That's why a lot of the mo- a lot of the movies that have these giant battles are usually cutting back and forth between something a, a lot more small, a lot smaller. Like, you know, uh, most of the, most of the secondary star Wars movies end up cutting between a space battle and two people just fighting each other. Yeah. Yeah. Game of Thrones, you have Arya running through the city while the battle is raging is that in yeah, the bell exactly. episode. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that, I just, I really just think it reboots it. Like, I can't stress that enough. It, what it does is it shows you why the DS9 universe is what it's talking about. And it, it's kind of like a, um, I don't know, aperitif is the right thing, like a palate cleanser mm-hmm. almost. Like, I just really enjoy the fact that it highlights what the show thinks and what it's been talking about. Uh, the anti DS9 is where TNG was interested in sort of like this perfect humanism of things, DS9 is more interested in the anti humanism. Uh, which would be like bigotry and racism and xenophobia and everything like that. And that ties into what I think was a kind of a big mistake. And this is the Dorn thing. Uh, In this episode, Sirach Lofton is the one who's shot by the cops for trying to break into a car. And Benny Russell gets beat up. The original idea was that uh, the ball player that Michael Dorn plays is dating a white woman, which is Mm. a parody of Worf and Dax. Well, not a parody, but it's an homage to Worf and Dax. And he is beaten to death by the cops for that Jesus. transgression. So <laughs> I wonder. I wonder why they nixed that. I, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a better idea. I think it drives the point home better. But yeah. fuck, that's dark, man. It, it is dark. It, it's funny because it's. I mean, it, I guess it's just the per, the personal nature of them beating him to death as opposed to kind yeah. of just. It's not really an accident, but they they shoot Sirac often, which feels less bad for some weird bizarre reason but they yeah. either way you end up with a dead character but i think that the dorn thing is it's certainly darker but i, I think it's just it ties into the universe in a way that i would have liked to have seen where sirak lofton's thing kind of feels like it has to happen to make benny russell do that in a way and it feels a little bit more artificial i think than the dorn uh, dating a white woman does yeah, yeah, I would agree. Adult um, idea though, like that's I'm, I'm yeah. shocked it even made it to the like the the idea the script the initial draft of the script that they were going to consider doing that. Yeah, I would assume the they changed to Sirak Lofton's character just maybe for the Jake parallel where it's like oh is, is Jake's being shot kind of thing. Yeah, like uh, his so, son, that's a character that's seen as a yeah, son, sort of like if you're going to kill someone, I guess that would be the second choice. Um, but yeah, that's a very. Uh, a very adult idea for this and it, it would be very dark and very um intense yeah and it's i mean but it's honestly if you're gonna if you're going 
if you're getting into this sandbox, that's probably the way to go. Yeah. I mean, because that is going to have an incredible effect. They use the N-word in this episode. I know. Yeah. Sirach Do you think Lofton they had to draw it. straws to see who got this, who had to say it? <laughs> is I guess I mean Sirach Lofton's character makes sense to say it. Yeah, I think right he does. Yeah. Um, the Dorn character I don't really see saying, and Benny Russell wouldn't. Uh, I don't think. And the the other thing that's never been said in Star Trek before is um, Abrajan West is for Christ's sake, which is nice. And there's oh, also a reference to the Bible in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was uh, uh, I was really happy that they didn't have one of the white characters say it. Yeah. Just because I feel like that's you know, too easy and really, again, it's really intense. Um, and I think Sirach Lofton's character makes a better point in using it than, than they, than throwing it around as just, uh, well, this is, this is how we're going to show the cops are really bad. You know? Yeah. He's the, he's the black character who doubts that the world is ever going to get better. Yeah. That the, the yeah, world of where a black person could be a commander of a space station and not just, uh, I think he says not just shining shoes in space is something that he can't, uh, comprehend. Yeah, it's like they got around the censors on that one the same way Titanic got around having like full frontal nudity in a PG-13 movie because it was like artistic or some shit. Whereas this one, it's like they're making a point, you know, they're not using it in a derogatory. Well, I mean, they are, but you know what I mean. It's not the um, um, the South Park episode where they swear, where the characters are swearing the whole episode and they're waiting right, to see the yeah. show swear on TV. And the yeah, character in the TV show just says, you got, you got a little shit on your face. And then they go, wow. Yeah. They're uh, they're making a very specific point by using it the way that they do, and uh, I'm I'm glad that they let them use it because I think it was it was very uh, impactful there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, I, I think that's why it works. I think that's why it's the city on the edge of forever thing. Like I I do think that this is one of the best DS9 episodes, and I guess that I guess my counterpoint to you saying that the best episodes can't do it. Uh, can't or you'd prefer considering a best episode to be something that's sort of in the universe and more representative of what the show actually is. Mm-hmm. I think this is. I don't know if I disagree isn't, with that point because that's isn't a personal. It that isn't this isn't aren't you saying that this show is that though? It is, but it's. Um, I guess. I guess my argument would be that sometimes it needs to step out of what the show is to show you what the show is. If that makes any sure. sense, like you. You can kind of get lost in 160 episodes of people walking around the space station, but when they bump it back to another setting and use the exact same themes that they've been talking about, it really yeah. resets it for you. And I think it's interesting that it does that. Well, I and I would I would say that I I think this is more representative of being a great episode of DS9 than City on the Edge of Forever is being representative of a great episode of TOS. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. think that I I think I agree with all of what you're saying, but I still think TOS is just kind of like a sci-fi story that they happen to slap Star Trek on. Sure. Whereas this one feels more organic to everything that they're doing with the show. Um and only works because of the people who are in it and the characters and the way they're positioned and and how that relates to the main body of the story. Whereas if you take City on the Edge of Forever, and you plug in Scotty in the Kirk role, nothing changes. Right. You know what I mean? It's yep. like, it's not, nothing Nothing in that story is hinges on the fact that it's a Star Trek story uh, or at all. Um, so that's why, that's why I will continue down the road of just shit canning that, that show. <laughs> <laughs> Insisting on balance of terror. Um, yes. Yeah, I'd. 
Yeah, because we, we and we always talk about the, uh, or I've always talked about how like the epic episodes are sometimes stuck in your head as the great episodes, as opposed to the right. little small ones. And it's, it, it, I guess this one's interesting because I wouldn't consider this one to be on the epic scale of what City on the Edge of Forever is, because that one had mm-hmm. some like really far-reaching repercussions. Like if World War II doesn't happen, then everything is fucked, and we never have Starfleet or anything like that. Right. Right. This is not, and this one, this one arguably ends with World War II not happening like they they don't make the change here benny russell kind of goes crazy at the end he gets fired from his job he quits i guess you could say and then Mm -hmm. he loses his mind and gets institutionalized or brought to the hospital and then it smash cuts to cisco where the future is the thing that we know the dreamer is now awake and he's no longer dreaming but they're commenting on how the show itself is a dream and that you have to sort of keep going towards it and that that that's why I don't buy this the DS9 is a cynical approach to Star Trek thing because this yeah. episode is clearly not cynical it's just saying we aren't perfect obviously and even if this is a kind of pie in the sky idea it's worth trying yeah well you know not to get too uh heady or deep into the political weeds of stuff that I honestly don't know anything about um but like the the idea of of TOS Star Trek of this uh, utopian future where everybody is, you know, racism just it just doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's it's a very it's it's a very uh you I think someone who is more directly affected by that stuff can look at that and go like, "Come on, man. That's just that's not realistic." Yeah, you know, or, or I you're allowed to be I've, racist against other species, but it's not called yeah, racism. Really. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's like you know how you know how they say there's certain um, you know progressive movements from the '60s that left out people of color entirely just because you know they didn't think about that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was it was all forward for one group, but then they're like, uh, yeah, we didn't actually include everybody in this thing. So even even in that sense, there is some. Uh, segregation and discrimination involved even if even when it's a progressive idea yeah still happening today obviously oh yeah absolutely and i think i think that's where ds9 the angle ds9 is coming from where it's not cynical it's like yeah obviously that's what we're working towards but there is a realistic um realistic isn't the word um i don't know rational i guess approach to these ideas being like yeah these are great, but obviously it's not going to be just a blanket change. These things are still going to exist, and it's putting the pressure on these ideas that really strengthens them. You know, like right. if you have it, Ben Cisco pushing back against Starfleet and having Starfleet's resolve still stand strengthens what Starfleet is. You know. Yep. Yep. Right. No. Yeah. I'd, I. Uh, I'd agree with that. It's. It's about. It's about pressure testing, I guess, to see where the cracks start to appear. And this episode thinks that the the cracks are... It's commenting on how the cracks were bigger in the past, but they still Mm -hmm. obviously exist, and it's still something worth talking about. But how in this utopian ideal that doesn't really exist in the real world, the characters are sort of meta-commenting on how they're a dream. And it is the ultimate sort of uh, trying to get there is the, the noble goal, I suppose. And yeah, it's, 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 interesting. it's the difference between everybody going, yeah, you know, that would be great. 
that is what we should look forward to. And someone else going like, yes, that's true. But here are the things that we have to get over before we get there. Yeah. I was reading an article about TOS. TOS is kind of astounding when you think about it. Well, it came out in the 60s, right? And they have, uh, there's a man who looks like people that were currently fighting a war against on the bridge, right? Within Sulu. There's a black woman who's part of the command structure at some point. She's not obviously not very high up or anything. They don't really do anything with it, but she's on the bridge, which is like Mm -hmm. remarkable. And also they have a um, a Russian who we are in the middle of the most intense period of the Cold War against. Yeah. And none of those characters in the TOS series are ever mentioned about their race at all, right. which is fascinating yeah. for the, the era that it came out. And that's all people would have been thinking about. But the show, the show's big leap was to just include them all in this futuristic series. And the only thing they really do is make fun of Russians, uh, which in kind of a lighthearted, non-threatening way, which is funny, but... Yeah. This is the this is the same this is that the series kind of reckoning with that and drawing more of a direct comparison for things than TOS chose to ignore and say the best way forward is to ignore and DS9 chooses to confront. Yeah, I think it's I think it's TOS is the bold new idea if you're talking like uh legislation wise. I think TOS is the bold new idea and DS9 is 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 determining how you're going to pay for it essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> We're just going to kick the budget down the road to 2020 yeah. after the elections. Uh some topical news right there. Yes, yeah, I would that's a good way to put it, I think. And I think that that's why DS9 is probably the pinnacle of Trek because it actually is the series that um took everything to a different extreme. It's like the next evolution. And all the other series uh, eventually sort of fall more in line with things that are to be expected. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about this one? I, I think this is great. I think this is a great episode. Um, yeah. Watched it a couple times. I, I think uh, all the actors are fantastic. Oh, the one last thing I wanted to say to you. Uh, we were talking in the previous episode about strength of casts relative to all the Star Trek series. Mm, yes. This episode would be terrible if the TNG cast was involved in it, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> yes, it would. We can agree on that. I think it's unfair to compare the TOS mm characters because that's a it's really a different style of acting there yeah yeah but i think the tng like spiner would have been out of control in this episode if he was allowed to do anything i don't know who he would be he'd probably be the uh colomini character i think yeah yeah and he would probably turn in a worse performance and stuff like that but i was i was just i think it goes to show you the strength of the ds9 ensemble i think that everyone yeah. here is pretty good at this point except for maybe sirach lofton who's who's making a choice and then maybe that's the best thing i can say about it yeah and they also i mean the writers know their actors well enough to pick characters that they know that they can do well you know mm-hmm. um yeah i would also like to say that uh, I managed to go the entire discussion of this episode without referencing the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode that is very similar to this. Um, so, does it deal with racism? No, it doesn't deal with racism. It's basically it's this episode without any of the social subtext. It's oh. just uh, I think I've I think I've mentioned it before. It's where uh, Buffy wakes up and she's in a mental institute. Oh, sure. And they are there's this other reality that she keeps going back and forth between, where all of the stuff from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer show is shown to be the delusions of a, of a girl who's gone insane. Um, and it's all in her head basically. And at the end of the episode, the difference between these, well, I guess they're fair, kind of similar, I guess, um, is she makes a choice to live in the world of the show, quote unquote, 
um, and they never make a determination as to which reality is the real reality. Like they don't at the end backdoor it and be like, Oh, that was all just the manifestations of a demon or whatever. It's it's, they leave it completely open-ended whether or not she, uh, just managed to defeat whatever this thing was, or if she is now total recalled it and is now living in the, in the world of, uh, the insane, you know, fantasy yeah. world that she's created entirely. You don't know if she took the red pill or the blue pill. Yeah. Basically. Yes. Um, Good episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I mean, it's not. I guess not an uncommon idea here. I guess I. I appreciate this one just for how thematically uh, solid it is, and I think that everyone does a really, a really fantastic job. I think that they're all. Um, it's a. It's a. I think it's just, it's just an entertaining episode too on it on itself, and I think that the direction is really good. I love the cuts of as you brought up with um when the cops are. Uh, beating up Benny Russell, and they cut to Wayun and Ducat in makeup, and then cut back to the the actual uh, normal policeman uniforms and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I think they they did all that stuff pretty well. I think that it's uh, clever. And I, I guess we'll wrap up the discussion. Uh, you started by saying you didn't need. Uh, there was no explanation for what happened. Do you think you need an explanation for what happened here? Um. Would you be happy if the prophets were responsible for this? That seems like the the worst case scenario I would have thought for you. I I think I would be fine with it. Um it's just it's just that Star Trek even like the most out there episodes have some sort of explanation even if it's like one sentence as to what may or may not have been happening. Um that this feels Closer to fantasy than the show usually goes. Yep. Uh, I still think it's a great episode, but I, yeah, I'm a little, I kind of, I kind of wish they had, they don't even really talk about it. Like, yeah, once, once, once Cisco comes out of his thing, it's like, yeah, welcome back. And he's like, yeah, well, that was weird. <laughs> you know, like they don't really, yeah. there's not really a discussion about it or anything yep. or, or whatever. So I think maybe something like that would have been would have been nice. I don't I don't think I needed like a final scene where Cisco is reflecting on everything that just happened or anything like that. But uh Yeah. It's I mean it it's super it's a it's a super meta episode. Them talking yeah. about whether or not they could end this with a dream sequence is extremely self-aware of what's going on there about like how how you can wrap up an episode and make it feel believable if it's a dream sequence. Yeah. Uh this is like if a, they if they had pulled out and it was like, up, oh, Cisco tripped and fell face first into the electronics of the holodeck. You know, like oh, that's not that's not satisfying. But if they had given slump some little thing where it was like, oh, we were passing through some sort of weird, you know, temporal distortion, temporal distortion inside a warp shell or some shit. I don't know. Uh, with it pierced by a tachyon pulse or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I actually like that they don't. Uh, do anything with it. I like that it's a uh, totally self-contained little um, commentary on the show. The, yeah. the the series finale, when it comes up, they don't do this. They had originally thought for the longest time that they were going to end it with the final shot being uh, Benny Russell sitting on a television production stage with a script of DS9 in his hands. Boo. You wouldn't have liked that? No. That's too, that's too sane elsewhere for me, where you pull out and it's all... Inside the mind of a of a it's a know, dream autism sequence. kid or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a dream that's, that's cheap. Yeah, I, I don't like that. I yeah, I I probably would have a problem with. They don't end it that way. Uh, as I'll I'll say that now, so you don't have to worry about it. But they 
Um, I feel doing it in this episode is enough. And I feel that this episode yeah. ends with them kind of tweaking the nose of the franchise itself and just saying, like, look, this is all clearly a dream and we're not going to discuss that it. That was really yeah. how they were thinking about ending the entire series. Yeah, because they wanted to connect it to this episode, which I, I, I sort of understand it. It ties into the, the writer's discussion about the dream sequence in this one. It's like it does make it more... It does make you think about the series in a different way. I I agree that it would be a very frustrating way to end, but I think it you would also sh- it fits. shatters the entire franchise. It it, <laughs> <laughs> it it does, but I guess you could is is not the counter argument to that that you are kind of living in a aren't you and aren't you taking Odo or Rene Auberjonois' nineteen fifties persona to heart if you're not recognizing that they're fake like are you just kind of are you the person who's kind of like listen we've got to have rules in this weird universe like we've got to stick to things that matter (laughs) i i don't know i I think it's weird i would have been disappointed but i could also see why they would want to do it that way especially this series i could see why they would want to do it that way yeah i don't know that yeah, that, that's that's. I don't think that would have been. You may as well just make it a holodeck episode with Riker and Troy. Then yeah. at that point, you know, it's well, like, it's the same. It's the same kind of feeling as that, where it's like, oh, so this was all just nothing, huh? See, is that? I, I guess there's a. Uh, I was listening to Trek Live the other day, and they were talking about the reset button in Star Trek. Do you consider that to be a reset? Is a dream sequence a reset button? I don't think it's a reset button. I think it's a. I think it's a cancel button. Just a, okay, just a cop out. What if the characters learn something about it and then goes back? Is it still unsatisfying? If the character learns something, if they learn something through the course of the episode, but then it all turns out to be a dream, is it still unsatisfying? Uh oh. Are you talking about this episode specifically, or like ending? Just the in season, general, the any, any Star Trek show in general. If you have a, if you have an episode that sort of resets at the end and everything goes back to the status quo oh, I but see, the I course okay. of the episode has caused the character to learn something about it is that problematic to you i guess no not at all yeah. i mean that's the the point of stories is to have your character change at the end you know it's i, I think dream sequences are cop-outs when you exactly the opposite of what you're saying when you have all of these things happen to your character that you then are taking back at the end i think that's when you run into a problem because if you if your character comes out of that situation and is fundamentally changed, then technically that stuff still happened, you know? Like, But, but when you say that, 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 doesn't that happen in this episode? Or uh, maybe not this, but like, wouldn't that be the takeaway if the series had ended that way? Wouldn't you have to say that through the course of everything, Benny Russell here at the end has learned something, or we've learned something about Cisco, even? I know, because Benny Russell isn't the character you've been following the whole time. Okay. You know, because I think, I think that would... I don't know. I it, it's tough to it's tough to say without seeing exactly how it played out. But I think I think pulling the rug out from from under everything and going, oh, it was all in the mind of this character we've just met is 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 fun, is kind of a is kind of cheap. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Know. I I I would agree. I have a hard time real um sort of explaining why I agree. I guess it's I guess it's. it's it's almost more of a technical thing of like I wasted 175 hours for this to happen at the end yeah. as opposed to yeah. even if I learned something great and insightful from it it still feels like a little bit of a betrayal yeah. and I don't Cause know. Cuz at the end of the day Benny Russell great character sure. People don't care about Benny Russell they care about Ben Cisco, yeah, you know. Yeah. No. Um yeah, I think uh 
you get into good dream sequences when you get into something like uh, the what's the Picard episode where he he's in the the fake world inner light where he's yeah. he lives yeah yeah you know that that at the end of that Picard has a is very visibly a changed person yep um, knows how to play the flute so yeah and and it's not like it's not like he just wakes up and he's like well that was weird right it's, you know I guess I shouldn't have slept with my one hand in the 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 power socket, my other hand in a, gl- in a glass of water. It was the probe. Yeah, I, I think the inner light would be this. Uh, inner light is TNG's version of this story. I think. Yeah. Um, and I think they do a pretty good job. Well, let's uh, we'll take a break there. Let's play an audio clip, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna read some patron thoughts, give our final thoughts for far beyond the stars. Well, you can't fire me. I quit. To hell with you! And to hell with you! Try to stay calm, Benny. Oh, I'm tired of being calm. Calm never got me a damn thing. I'm warning you, Benny, if, if you don't stop this, I'm going to call the police. You go ahead, call them! Call anybody you want. They can't do anything to me. Not anymore. And nor can any of you. Human being, damn it. You can deny me all you want, but you cannot deny Ben Zisco exists. That future, that space station, all those people, they exist in here. In my mind, I created it. And every one of you know it. You read it. It's here. You, you, you hear what I'm telling you? You can pop a story, but you cannot destroy an idea. Don't you understand? That's ancient knowledge. You cannot destroy an idea. That future, I created it, and it's real. Don't you understand? It is real. I created it, and it's real. It's real. Oh, God. All right, everybody. So, if you enjoyed the content today, us talking about the past 1950s and Star Trek, you can support the show patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple of dollars a month, you get extra stuff like podcasts and all that stuff. You also get a shout out if you are a captain tier supporter. Special thank you, special thank yous go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David K, Dwayne Hackett. Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, supporting the show. Hope you enjoyed the content today. Now, let's go to patron thoughts. If you're a patron, you can also leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes, and we read them and react to them. Far Beyond the Stars, Captain Quark says... I honestly wouldn't mind seeing the tragic tale of Benny Russell adapted into a feature-length film. The overall story was an interesting take on racial injustice of the era. The framing device of Sisko's disillusionment with his role in Starfleet is a somewhat awkward way of getting to Benny Russell's story, even though I enjoy and empathize with the captain's mental conflict resulting from the war. Great acting for most of the cast in different roles. One notable exception is Sirach Lofton's portrayal of a street kid, which comes off like an SNL caricature. Um, We didn't (laughs) really talk about... He does seem like a Fred Armisen character. <laughs> we didn't um we didn't really talk about 
the relationship between what's going on in the DS9 universe and this world, do you think it works well, where Cisco's disillusionment with the war uh, pairs off against his sort of fighting injustice in the past as Benny Russell? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, I think it's, uh, spiritually similar. You know, I, I actually liked that, the, that it wasn't a direct line. Um, cause I think it, you get a little bit more, you can get a little bit more of an interesting story out of it if it's not just. It's just you fighting know, if, for if, what you believe in. Both characters. Yeah. Have to if realize it wasn't, that they, if yeah. it wasn't, oh, in the fifties, uh, Benny Russell is, uh, the, the only black captain on the Chicago police force. You know what I mean? Right. Where yeah. it's not a direct one-to-one. That, that's, um, that's true. Like he's, he's another character in a command position going against something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd agree. I, I, I think it's subtle. It's there. I If I have one problem, it does that weird episodic thing where Cisco feeling like he's going to quit at the start feels like it comes out of nowhere. He's like, God damn it, another ship blew up. I quit. And then he has this epiphany and everything turns out okay. But it works for what it is. It's just something that always catches me off guard. Um, <laughs> A very funny line where yeah, Kira's like, that ship blew up. He's like, God damn it. She's like, you were friends with Captain Smith, weren't you? He goes... I introduced him to his wife. It's like that's the the peak of knowing I, somebody. You know, I I will say, uh, I know. Yeah, they always use that too. Like that's always something that comes up is where it's like, well, he introduced me to my wife. Like that's it's not like that's it's more than just someone going like, hey, Chris, this is my friend uh, Charlene. Right. See you guys later. <laughs> yeah, at um, a work party, you just meet with yeah. a guy. You just like remembering that person who introduced you forever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I actually, as I was watching it, that opening scene, I thought there was going to be something screwy about it because I didn't think the acting in the first scene was particularly good. It's not. It felt yeah, yeah. It felt like something was off, and like it was, it was one of those things where I couldn't tell if it was just not good or if it was intentionally not good. So I was expecting something like you know. Cisco is going to realize he was in a you know a simulated world. I, I technically I was right, but just not in the way I thought I was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. You know, it just it just felt really off for some reason. So I, I was kind of watching those first couple scenes with like you know th- with through squinty eyes, waiting for the with for the turn to come. Uh. But it didn't happen, obviously, the way that I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Who um which character took you the longest to recognize who they were? Um. Martok. Oh, really? I thought his voice would have given him away right away. Yeah. I mean, I recognize the voice, but I couldn't place it because his face is so different. Yes. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah. I, think that, I think that's Martok. He's also the he only doesn't... white Klingon. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, and I was just like, yeah, I think it's Martok, but I can't, I can't make out the face. Uh, I'm almost positive it's Martok, but I wasn't, I wasn't totally sure. Also, I was not expecting uh, Nog. To be like a very tiny forty-five-year-old man. <laughs> I always assumed Nog was like seventeen. I thought he was the same age as Sirach Lofton. <laughs> no, he's older. You know, the people are going to think um, poorly of me, but I did not recognize Michael Dorn as the baseball player when he makes his first appearance walking down the hallways of DS- DS9, and he goes into the room. Oh yeah, yeah. It took until well, I a- saw him in the diner to be like, oh, of course, it's Michael Dorn. Well, he was one that I caught. Well, also because I kind of know what he looks like generally, but I also uh, his voice his voice gave it away for me as soon as he came through. Because that I, that 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 
he's only in it super quickly in that first scene where he's walking through the the hallway. Yeah, he says so Benny play catch or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see missing that. But when he said that, I was like, yeah, that sounds like Dorn. Yeah, the Wharf voice is just a kind of more intense version of his normal voice. It's it's yeah. funny. Um, but yeah, he's. I would say that Dorn. When you see him acting like this, you do get a, a sense of he is acting to play Worf. Like that is a, you know, it seems kind of obvious to say it now because he's like this growling Klingon most of the time. But it is a, um, it is a difference from his normal acting persona to play yes. that, that way. Yeah, much more smiling. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Zam Nuclear Wessel says, far beyond the stars. I love everyone's second characters there, including Lofton's. It's too bad Clay isn't there to suggest a job he might get other than dishwasher and a messenger boy. It ends in machine no we did there's no i get it that's the uh well i mean he was a street 'er ne'er-do-well so who knows what else he's been into (laughs) you know he might he might be i mean those watches he had to pay for those watch i mean unless he stole the watches but he might be he might you know moonlight as a gigolo i don't know yeah it's hard to tell it's hard to tell We, we barely knew him uh, let's see here. The next one is, that is not it. Matthew Ross says, I think this was a very well executed shot, artistically and visually stimulating, well acted with a strong message. However, when it came out and someone told me that this was the last episode, I was annoyed. We all know that the whole series is made up. Why break the fourth wall more to tell us that our show is a show? Sci-fi is escapism, just like any other entertainment, and this concept has been done repeatedly from the short story Strange New Worlds, two S actors beam to the Enterprise, the more recent Red Shirts novel by Scalzi uh Scalzi that said the callbacks to the racial political tensions that still exist, the sets and the costumes, even the callbacks to TOS's court martial with the cover of Galaxy magazine showing Starbase eleven was well displayed. Yet I was more than happy to see them return to space and our regular characters at the next episode when wondering if the show was pure psychosis that we all share. Kind of what we talked about at the you end. Know, it is interesting how making something all a dream I mean they they talk about it in the episode, making something all a dream kind of cuts the legs off of the idea yeah in in a really f- interesting way um you know the uh silent movie the cabinet of dr caligari mm-hmm. so that also bookends with it being the ravings of a madman in a in an insane asylum and then it was oh it was all just made up it was all a dream and s- for some reason that is viewed as taking away the power of what the story is about because it originally that's that movie originally didn't have that ending it was just played straight this is the story about you know this carnival guy and his sort of zombie dude who's killing people and crazy world yeah 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 and it was seen as very critical of the german government at the time and so the german government would not release the movie because it was so critical so they had to they had to end, put this dream sequence, uh, you know. You're crazy for thinking this. You're a crazy person. Yeah, if you exactly. Think yeah. 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 To, to see that. See, everything that you just watched, even though in and of itself is fiction and ridiculous, is just the ravings of a madman. It was all just a dream. It's not actually positing these political ideas. So it's really, it's really fascinating how making something a dream just completely railroads it. Yeah, I guess... I, I guess my point, if I could try to sum it up again, just because I don't think it was making it very clear, would be like uh, Matt Ross just said uh, the whole show was a pure psychosis that we all share, saying that it's a negative to make the show. Um, the dream sequence makes it seem like it is a psychosis. I guess my argument would be it is a psychosis to think that. You know what I mean? Like to to interpret mm-hmm. the show as something that it's like um, it feels like a waste of time to 
say that it's all a dream, which is something that I agree with. But to be critical of a show ending in a dream sequence, saying that this was all a dream and therefore it was a psychosis, I, I feel that that's a weirdly true thing that we're upset by you know like if 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 we're getting annoyed by the way that a fictional story ends we have a Mm -hmm. strange relationship to the fictional story in the first place um yeah it's just it's it's interesting because i would i would agree that dream sequences usually undercut it and i don't know why in your case or in the case of caligari or things like that it sometimes seems okay to do things like that um doesn't seem to be much of a rhyme or reason for it i i think I think part of it is that when it's used as a cop out, or I shouldn't say that. If when it's, it's the used fix as, to the solution, it's a problem, it's a huge problem, or a fix yeah. to the problem. Yeah. But I also think doing it, I, I, I agree with that. But I also think there's a level of um, it feels like it almost feels like that the that the creator is not, is not taking what they just showed you seriously, mm. and they're kind of insulting you. If you then took the, it seriously, oh sure, it's so like if, a joke. It's like you're trolling your audience, sort of. Yeah. So mm. if you if you t- if you know if you're invested in this show, and the the whole point of or one of the main tenets of, of fiction in general is the suspension of disbelief. It's it's like it's like if someone it's like if you were to go to to to, to WrestleMania, right? And then at the end of WrestleMania, Vince McMahon walks into the middle of the ring and goes, "You know, it's all fake, right?" <laughs> you know, it's it's like you are you are investing yourself into this story and then for the creator to come in and be like, "Yeah, well, you know, fuck it." It's kind of it, it's kind of insulting on the, on a certain level. Yeah, th- this is interesting because when I asked you about the DS9 wrapping up with that dream sequence, all I'm doing in my head is picturing the way that the show actually ends and then tagging it with that scene. You know what I mean? So Yeah. I'm still I'm still seeing this, the series resolve itself in a way that tells the complete story within the universe, but then it's kind of a little tag on the end of saying, "Remember the lessons of Benny Russell," kind of. Okay, well, all right, that's 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 arguable. I could I could see that working. I think. Yeah. Um, did you see Black Klansman? I did. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm thinking of a better version of what Black Klansman did at the end. You you know where they showed the real news reports of Charlottesville. Yes, yes, yeah. That that to me feels like that to me felt like a bad example of it was all a dream, sort of. That's not really what Black Klansman is saying, but it felt like it was like a like ah I, I don't know if this was necessary at the very end. Like I kind of get that the movie is saying this, but it's weird that you inserted this very recent event in there. And yeah. I, I, I don't know I don't know if it worked for me, even though I understand what the point was, but I, I'm kind of viewing the dream sequences in the same way as that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of an interesting one to cite because it's it's they're kind of going out of their way to show that it this stuff actually right. is happening. It's, it's an anti anti dream. Yeah, it's, it's an like anti-dream a reverse dream sequence. Dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what you've been watching is all a dream, but get real, motherfuckers, because it's actually yeah, happening. exactly. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. Uh, Kyle Barrett says, far beyond the stars, the mechanics of the episode and the teaser that doesn't know when to end may be a little clunky, and Cisco's final speech may get a bit too literal with the dream stuff, but everything between those two slightly flawed bookends is perfect. The episode could have been in danger of being too meta and self-congratulatory, but it gracefully strides that line, and despite everything it's saying and how emotional it can get, it's also very entertaining to watch. Like City on the Edge of Forever and TOS, this is a very atypical episode of the show, and yet is one of the very best of the series. If, uh, he did point out something that I forgot is that that opening cold open is like 15 minutes long. It's it, super long. It is. Yeah. It goes on for a long time to get them into it. Uh, but I didn't feel 
I felt that the stuff in the um the 50 sequences was the right length of time. I didn't feel it went too long and it wasn't too yeah, short. Yeah, I would or agree. Anything. Yeah. Uh, Neil Brennan, final comment. Far be- comment far beyond the stars. Maybe I could have done with a little more in the final moments, but otherwise this was a plus science fiction slash morality tale. Interesting to see the actors playing double roles. Feels like their performances here serve as a decent rank- ranking of their overall talent. Parentheses. Colmini, I still love you, but not your finest hour. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you, patrons, for your you thoughts. Know, just to say, I I would argue again. I would argue that this is not really science fiction. Because there is not really a scientific thing invo- involved with the story, right? It's just, it's a straight up fantasy sequence. That's like true. Do you think that the being set in the, I would argue yes, except for the fact that it bookends by being on DS9. Sure. But I mean, like, if, if, you have a, yeah. if you have a, 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 a book about an astronaut who falls asleep and has a crazy dream, I don't necessarily yeah. think that would be called yeah. science fiction you know <laughs> that's, that's yeah that's true um so which is why which is kind of why i was expecting a bit of a bit of an explanation some sort of you know techno babble sci-fi explanation as to what happened yeah um even even if you wanted to go sure the prophets you know accidentally spilled some of their acid into his into his drink or whatever okay so you um, seem unswayed by what memory alpha says i i also feel unswayed because i do not believe this actually was a vision of the prophets but i guess the episode is saying that at the same time who knows yeah i mean if if the intent if the intent is that i mean even there it's like tenuously sci-fi uh if if the intent is that this is all some sort of vision given to him by the prophets then sure i guess it counts as science fiction but barring that it does not feel like it is a science fiction story to me Mm -hmm. okay uh let's wrap it up there those are all the patron comments thank you guys for leaving your thoughts about the show thank you for supporting the show and everyone else you can go to patreon.com slash the penske file if you want to leave your thoughts and if you want to support the podcast so clay what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five um i'm going to give it a five I, I almost, I was thinking at the beginning of taking a point away based entirely on the fact that it's not actually explained as how any of this happens, but I think that would be, that would be me being kind of petty, I think. I'm honestly a little bit surprised that it's uh, something that's stuck in your craw that much. Well, you know, it, it doesn't always, I think explanations aren't always important. I think most of the time they're not, or I should, let me put it this way. I think explanations are not as important as a lot of people think that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in some instances, it especially if you're doing something like this, it helps to ground it in the story that you have been telling up to this point, you know? Yeah. It's funny because I'll go back and say that you gave uh, The Visitor a four. And the yep. visitor does that very much, yep. where, the, where the, it's a sci-fi accident that causes the entire story to go off uh, on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that that's the reason why you thought that you didn't enjoy that one as much, but would you you'd have preferred a visitor sort of uh, plot structure to it, where where something sci-fi causes these things to happen? I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it doesn't have to be like you don't Just have to go take twenty minutes to explain console. it. Yeah, yeah, you know, something something simple. Uh, it's it's just so strange that like if if the if you took that if you took that explanation out of the visitor, I probably would have liked that episode even less. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that one 
they they do it, you know, as far as dream sequences and stuff go, I think that what the visitor does really nicely is that when you come back to the beginning or, you know, whatever, um, Jake is now fundamentally changed by everything that he's seen. Right. Yeah. You know, and which which legitimizes everything you just watched, even though it, quote unquote, technically didn't happen. Right. Um, whereas this one, it's like. Sure, he's having these visions. Yeah, it's affecting him, I guess. But the 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 fact that it's just you know, even if they had said, <laughs> "Commander, that was a weird stroke you just had," you know, it, it, it's just that <laughs> they don't even attempt, yeah, to 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 go for it. It's just so strange to me. Yeah, the the way I see this episode happening nine times out of ten is that Cisco's reading a book about that period and falls asleep. Yeah, nine times out of ten, yes. Yeah. And I, I think, find that well, less think, satisfying than this, even though this is not no, an exploration. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Because I think that way you are explicitly um, undercutting a, what yeah. you're trying to do. Yeah. Because I think that's where that's where uh, taking the story seriously comes into, into, into play as far as dreams, making it a dream sequence. Because then it's like, oh, well, you know, it was just a dream. You know, it, it's 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 just a manifestation of, of what he happened to be reading before he went to bed. So there's not actually any real lasting impact about what he just, you know, what we just saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if they had made, if, if they had made it a little clearer that it was a, 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 a vision generated by the prophets, I think I'd be fine with it. Interesting. All right. So I'm going to give it a five as well. I think it's great. I think it's one of the, uh, the top five DS9 episode. I would put it somewhere in there, I think. I think that it has a lot to say. I like that it reboots in my brain what the series is actually talking about. I think it's just a sort of a great um, turn of events for the show. And I think that every Star Trek series needs this kind of an episode. It usually does have one like this, and this one turns out pretty well. That's it. So, thank you, patrons, for supporting the show. Everyone else, go to patreon.com slash thepenskyfile if you want to support us. A couple dollars a month, you get podcasts and stuff like that. It's a pretty good deal, and it helps keep the show running. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. Outside of that, you can click all the social media links down below in the video description or the podcast blurb. Follow us on social media. Blah, blah, blah. You can buy t-shirts. You can go to the Discord channel. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do that's related to the show. And I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else. I'm quickly looking through my list. No, I don't have anything else. We got Radio Star Murders coming up. We got some badass coming next week. We've got mm-hmm. Real Ripe and Rotten coming back at some point, and we'll have our Patreon podcast out this week as well. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, again, Kickstarter happening for my book Bloody Hell, which is happening very, very soon. Uh, to the point where I'm starting to get a little bit tight in the chest about it, but. <laughs> Um, when that, when that does happen, you will know all about it. It's, um, the story about a black man in the 1950s who has a dream. I feel uniquely qualified to write this story. <laughs> so it's something I've, it's a story I've been wanting to tell for a long time. I write the dialogue in very authentic, uh, dialect. That <laughs> it's like comes the airplane up. script. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of jive turkeys and stuff like yes, that. Yes. I can't, I can't, I don't personally find anything you know culturally wrong with me doing that but <laughs> all culture is cultural appropriation which i actually believe but let's uh, let's get out of here so um check that's, out the kickstarter that's a, that's a discussion for a different show <laughs> if anyone can argue with that i'd like to oh, uh, let's end this with um uh this is actually 
why did I want to talk about this? Screen Rant. I, do you know the website Screen Rant? Sure. I, I'm constantly kind of amazed when I... I sort of treat all blogs as equal. And like, if a blog looks nice, I kind of give it like a, the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, well, there must be some yep. seasoned like writers writing for this. I've, I've been doing some research for the like, um, not research, but like other shows. I try to find articles and stuff to tweet about. And Screen Rant's articles are awful. Like they're, they're <laughs> terrible. It's, it's like they're written by people in high school or something. Like they, they just make terrible points and they make two terrible things. But it reminds me of, uh, you know the music magazine Pitchfork. Yeah, I I thought Pitchfork was like a respected music magazine, and I started reading a bunch of their articles, and I couldn't believe how bad they were. And then I started researching <laughs> what people thought about Pitchfork, and every other serious music critic is like, Pitchfork is the worst. Like no one should reach Pitchfork. And yeah, it's I strange. always I always understood Pitchfork to be like if your music snob friend from high school got a magazine where it's like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah. So well, but I mean, that I, being said, I that being to- said, that review of the, uh, <laughs> of the, uh, fuck, what the hell's the name of that band? Greta Van Fleet album. That was a, that was pretty good. Yeah. They're, they're, they're right on when they, when they get their pretentiousness, because yeah. I, I think it started by, I started looking up pitchfork Spotify playlists. They're like the best 200 songs of the eighties and things like that. So I'm like, yeah. cool. And I have never heard of ninety two percent of the songs on the list. So like deep cuts off of Kraftwerk albums, right? Or like, or yeah. and like the you know they st- they stick in like ten world music albums, which is which is fine. But I've just never I've never heard of the artists. I've never heard of any yeah. of these. And so it's like I, I maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. And obviously, great music exists out of stuff that I know. But I kind of anticipated more of like a pop culture list than Pitchfork yeah. is giving me. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there's music yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I've always understood Pitchfork to be like, if you're sick of pop culture music, then go to Pitchfork. Yeah, because they will they will share that disdain with you and point you towards shit that no one nobody else. The, is the reason to. I, the reason I did the cultural appropriation thing is because the Pitchfork article that shift, that put me off was there was a review of like a Sting album that I stumbled yeah. across, mm-hmm. and they were just saying that they didn't appreciate Sting as a white man appropriating world music influences. And it's just mm. like, what the fuck do you think music is, people? Like, this is all yeah. music is, is this kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. But that's what set me off on this trail of trying to find out why pe- uh, people didn't like Pitchfork. And that's something. Yeah. You, I think those arguments are are, are valid in some sp- some spaces. But I the music ones are, unless, I feel like it's it's, music is such a gray area as far as that stuff goes. There are definitely instances where people are, like, just capitalizing off of, you know, a cultural thing or whatever, but like, how are you supposed to make music if you're not influenced by other music? Yeah. You know, a culture doesn't just come out of the ether is my point. All right. culture comes right. from somewhere else. So right. it's going to borrow from other things. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I think that's it. We're done. Kickstarter. Bloody hell. Check out the Patreon, all that stuff. We're going to be back in a couple days with the next episode after this one, which is honor among thieves. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.